Richard. All right. This is the Knife Journal podcast. This is episode six. We have a very, very, very special podcast today. We're all the way up, for me, it's quite a ways up in Escanaba, Michigan. And uh, I'm Kyle Versteg. This is Jim Noka. Hello. And our special guest is Mike Stewart. And uh, anybody who knows anything about knives knows about Bark River Knives. And uh, we I made a little pilgrimage up here today for the grind in. And it's the it's Jersey Devil grind in. Jersey Devil grind in. Yep. <clears throat> this is about the 17th grind in or 18th grind in we've done. It has to be mm-hmm. the 18th mm-hmm. grind in that we've done. And uh, so basically what it is is you come you come up here and they give you a, a blank of steel. They have a big, huge table with probably, oh, like 100 different handle materials. At least 100, yeah. It, and so you can choose anything from, <clears throat> like, some exotic walrus horn to a hippo tusk to any kind of micarta or, you know, handle you can think of. And then you can you can start with a blank of steel, like just a bar, and design your own. Or you can go and take a pre-made pattern and, and then put a special handle on it and modify it yourself. But basically, you come in knowing nothing, and you leave with a custom knife that is like professional level quality. That you made yourself. That you made yourself. And then you get, the cool thing is, is you get input from uh, what I would consider to be some of the best um, sharpening. And these are guys that, this is all they do with their life. They don't do anything else. These are the best people, I think, at, in the world at doing this kind of stuff. And, and they, grinding handles and grinding right. blades. And, and they'll sit there and they will go over and, and help you fix any mistakes you make and they'll give you advice. And, you know, I had some design questions the other day and I could ask, like, the, the amount of people that come up here that are, like, you know, big, big-time people in the knife world, you can go and show them what you've, what you've got an idea for and they'll and ask for input and they will give you you know some input that's going to make your knife perform better or look better or whatever it is and so we're talking cool. about we're talking about performance knives yeah knives that are actually made to use right? yeah and and still look good and still look good yeah i mean yeah. i i think that the the combination of having a knife that's visually appealing and still works is not unattainable and a lot of people worry too much about how the knife looks rather than how it performs we like a blend of both where you'll get maximum performance and also have it really an eye appealing knife and uh, and to me I, I i can't imagine making something that just looks um you know looks really nice but doesn't cut well or and i can't i don't like the other side of the scale either where you have this cut knife that cuts really really well but people look at it and they'll go, I wouldn't give you five bucks for that because it's ugly. Yeah. Or, and, and, you know, the, it, designing the combination of the two, we have all kinds of people here that can give you that balance and input on what you want to make. And the knives that end up being made at these things are sometimes astoundingly good. Yep. Yep. There's no question about it. We had a big banquet last night. The chow was phenomenal. Prime rib. Prime rib, yeah, it was pretty, and everybody used their knives. <laughs> yeah, well, so, so you know, we, to, today there were, uh, this time there were 38 makers, is that right? Yeah, I think there, I think this time, we're, no, it was like 42 makers. Okay, so there, so you get 42 people making knives, and different people making different things, and some of them are just crazy bizarre looking, and then some of them are, you know, well, I made my grandma's butcher knife, only I made it full tang and put an ergonomic handle on it. Um, but so you get you get a big range of stuff, and then they you take all of those knives and you put them on a table, and all the people who made knives get to judge. Right. They, only only people that made a knife can actually vote. Right. And there was uh, there was one knife that a, a lady made. Um, they had some of these uh, karambit patterns already basically cut. shaped only. Yeah, yeah, they're they're la- they're water jet cut to shape of a karambit, but they were not finished at all, not ground. You had to do all the work yourself to it, but it was in the shape of a karambit. Right, yeah, and did And I'm not a karambit guy, and that was pretty cool. Looking. Yeah, yeah, I, she, she she deserved to win. Yeah, that yeah was, there was no that question was about it. Unquestionably, the best knife on the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it wasn't even close. No, and and uh, I like the little feature that she did with the uh, um, the mosaic pin. Yeah, in, in the steel. Inlaid into the blade. I thought that was pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so so just uh, 
to give you a kind of a visual rep, rep an idea of what it is. So she took, um, Mike's got these uh, different uh, micarta, I guess you'd call it, or a... Yeah, what was the scale on that? That was kind of cool looking. I don't okay, remember. we have, uh, there's a fellow named Mike who owns a company called Wood Labs who makes very interesting exotic handle scales. And that was a spruce cone yeah, that, was, that. that was encased in resin in two or three different shades from white to a dark green with different shades and this gal took a look at that and she put toxic green liners behind it which which really made the colors jump out it popped it, it did and yeah. then she had the mosaic pins in it and it, we put it on the table it was like I'm sorry. I don't care who's voting. This is going yeah, to be the night. We all knew who was going to win. Yeah, it was it was pretty much unanimous. Everybody who looked at that honestly and didn't say, "Well, my knife's the best." Well, of course your knife's the best. That's why you made it. Right. Like the, if you if you didn't think it was the best, you would have gone back and changed it. Well, what, was real, what was really interesting is Chrissy has been here before. She made one knife, I believe, two years ago, and but the fit and finish on her knife was as good as anything we would ship out of here yeah. as first-rate product. I mean, yeah. it was absolutely flawless. Yeah. She was... took her time, and she did a really nice job on it. Yeah. And the, the, the detail that they're talking about with the mosaic pin, so if you visualize your handle, at the front of the handle, there's a little um, metal guard that keeps your hand from slipping forward. Yeah, self-guard. Right. Built into the knife. So she took that, and she drilled a hole in it, and then put a little mosaic piece in there and and uh, blended. blended it off so that it, it looked like it was part of the blade. It was pretty cool. Yeah, that was that was well, <clears throat> we're I always get surprised. You know, we've been doing this thing for years and you always get surprised by what somebody will actually do that's thinking outside the box and saw some handle material and designed something themselves and we always end up with something. We look at it and we go like that is really good. You could you could win a blade show award with that knife. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's it, it, well, we, if you we're and we the politics, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah you, but we're but we're always <laughs> pleasantly surprised with what folks make. Yeah, and then they then there were a couple other categories. There was a best kitchen knife that the mm -hmm. staff chose. Right. And how would you describe that blade shape? Because I I haven't used or seen that before. That looked like a that looked to me like it was a santuco that was nipped off, so it had like a like a point at the bottom. That's called a hansuko. Yeah. A hansuko. Ha hansuko. Han Solo. No hansuko. <laughs> and believe it or not, it's it's a it's a type of paring knife, but it's actually a, it's a little bit bigger than a paring knife. It's for boning chicken. It's for boning fish and chicken. Because you take, in other words, the point is, and actually, what's really funny is it's it's where people would say, oh, that's a reverse tanto. Well, right. it's not a reverse. There's no such thing as a reverse tanto. Right. That's something that people invented to sell knives. But that Hanasoko point is so that you can get right next to the bone with the point when you're boning chicken or you're boning like heavy bone fish. Mm -hmm. So it's actually, I mean, it's a traditional Japanese knife with a Western handle. Right. And we we added that to our line last year, and we sold a lot of them. Uh -huh. When I when I think about that though, I it seems like I have one of the something that looked similar to that, but it's not near as tall. Correct. Yeah, it was a. Big and I, piece I don't of steel. use it because it's a right. it's a like a fancy real fancy knife, and I don't even know what well, to use I, it for. I, but but it but it's it seems like it's like. Two and a, maybe maybe two inches tall, but it has that same point on it like that. I, I think that when you take traditional designs and then you add your, we're dealing with Oriental cutlery when the we're Western talking about flare. With, but but we use knives differently. Right. The the, the Japanese are incredible. When it, like if you said I'd like a full set of Japanese kitchen knives, you need a wheelbarrow. <laughs> There's about 85, and you know this one's for doing this, this one's for doing that. They're highly specialized, which is part of their culture, and it's really it's really neat. We Western Westerners people, we don't do that. Right. We say, well, I, I want a full set of kitchen knives, which is going to be three. Yeah, right. You know, and, and and what we'll do is we'll incorporate the features of a couple of those different knives into one design, 
and then put what we call a Western handle on it, because that's what people are used to. Right. Not because it's better than the, the than the Japanese handle. It's not. You know, if you know how to use a kitchen knife for real, you're not using the handle anyway. Right. You're choked up on the blade. But the but the point is that that we have to make things that are comfortable for Western cultures to purchase and what comfortable in their hand. That's what they're used to. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're not trying to re-educate the world. We're trying to say, if you buy this knife and you use it, you're going to find it really useful and you're already going to know how to hold it. Right. You don't have to relearn it. You know, I love the, the, and I believe they call it a wa handle, the, the octagonal mm-hmm. Japanese mm-hmm. handles. I love those. Mm-hmm. Most people take one look at that thing and they'll go, Boy, that's got to be uncomfortable. Right. It's actually not. Mm-hmm. But it sure looks. It's got eight right. sides to it. It right. looks uncomfortable. Eight flats. Yeah. Well, and a lot of times, a lot of times, as I understand it, on those Japanese style knives with that handle, they hold onto the blade anyway. Yes. Well. Yeah. People that really know how to use kitchen knives always choke up in front of the handle, and you've got at least two to three fingers in front of the handle all the time. The only thing that you would actually use the handle for would be would be for butterflying or filleting. Right. Okay. That's the only thing. That's the only time you'd ever grab a full handle right. on a kitchen knife. Okay. You you have way more control of a kitchen knife when you move as far forward on the blade as you can, with only like maybe your last two fingers or yeah. three fingers around the handle. Right. And the reason for that is you're trying to get over top of what you're cutting. Mm-hmm. The other reason is these are thin blades. Right. They don't have control built into them. Mm-hmm. So you have to be the control. Because the blade's going to want to fly around and do whatever, because it's really light. Right. Well, when so you you grab the blade itself. You can also feel what you're cutting if you grab the blade. Mm-hmm. The only the only difference would be like knives that they're using for butchering, like when they're cutting like right New York strips. I've got that big saber, huge, yeah, saber looking knife by Hankel's from like the 30s. Big curved blade. Big curved blade. Pointy. Yep. Big curved pointy blade. Yep, yep, yep. And but that's and also meant to be used when an animal's hanging. Yeah, yep, yep. People don't realize that that, yep. that knife is almost useless laid down on a right. table. They're very. That's very difficult because it's an unnatural movement. Right. But if that meat is hanging, right, that's the, that's a natural ergonomic movement of the arm, and that's the same curve in that blade is the arc your arm makes. Hmm. It's exactly the same. Yep. And. Whoever thought of that the first time actually really did think about it. They didn't just say, I want a curved blade. Right. They said, Charlie, come over here. Swing your arm up and down. Let me take a look at that. And then they measured that curve, and that's what they put in the blade. And they said, yeah, that's going to work, and my arm's not going to get so tired. Right. Because it's yeah. normal. Right. And, and I, mean, I only use that when I buy loins. Right. And I slice loins this way. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> when you when you deal with with using a knife for a sustained period of time, ergonomics are everything. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no question. If about you that. take a look at our butchering industry, you know which is the biggest butchering industry in the world because we eat more meat in this country than anybody else. Mm-hmm. They have spent millions of dollars developing knives for our butcher industry that don't fatigue your fingers, your wrist, and your forearm. So that so that they minimize your exposure to things like carpal tunnel syndrome. Yep. So ergonomics, on if you're like a hunting knife that's just used for field dressing, you could have any kind of handle on it. Yeah, you're only right. going to have that thing in your hand for three right. minutes. Right. You can you can easily field dress a deer in a couple of minutes. But if you're going to butcher something, or if you're going to use it for bushcrafting or wilderness living, you better have a comfortable handle. Or else you're going to give yourself blisters. You're going to you're going to stress your forearm and your wrist. I find, by the way, that my forearm <coughs> takes the most stress mm-hmm. in using any tool more than my hand does. It's my forearm, and I don't know if that's well, universal. And I don't know if you. I'm I'm not sure you've ever butchered a, a steer before, but I'll, let me tell you, you do one on your kitchen table, and you know you've done something. Yeah. That is a tremendous amount of work. Yeah, I haven't done a whole steer, but I do deer a lot. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, well, and, that, and that's but, comparable. Well, a deer is like, a steer would be like doing... 20 deer. Like 20 deer. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> the, it's the sheer weight. I mean, yeah. everything that you touch is heavy. Yeah. You, know, you you move a leg, you move... I mean, it, it's freaking 300 pounds. <laughs> yeah. 180 pounds, and, 100, and it's dead. 
well, well, back to what Mike was saying about the meat industry. If you look, um, I have a lot of friends that have been in that industry, mm-hmm. and they've they've given me their blades and things like this. And if you look at the way they do their handles, they're big fat handles that fill up your hand. Mm-hmm. Pinched and then like they're clay, like they're molded, like right. somebody molded a hand with they, clay. They, and they, they fill up your hand so that you can get a tight grip without maximally straining the muscles in the forearm, without maximally flexing them. The other thing, and you've started, well, you've probably always incorporated this into your designs, but um, I've this in the new models that you're making, uh, like the Bushcrafter, there's a swell on the top. On top. And there's a swell on the bottom. Most most of the bushcrafting knives that you see, unless you're going to get like a real puko or something like that, and those are most of those are stick tang. Most of the bushcrafting knives that you're going to see that are full tang, even the Skookum Bush Tool, which was disappointing to me, they don't have the swell on the top of the handle. It's straight across flat with the bottom of the blade. And the ergos of that. Um, I, there's an article coming out in Knife Journal. The next edition of Knife Journal will have it with a diagram so that you can see what I'm talking about. There's on on your hand when you make a grip, the where the top of the blade would be is is butting up against the meat of your thumb, which is called the thenar eminence, and the meat of where your pinky is, which is called the hypothenar eminence. And then there's a hollow in between them, the the hollow of the palm. If it's flat through there, you're going to introduce strain in your hand and in your forearm, and there's a there's a there's a way you'll just you'll just beat the hell out of your hand. With See, I'm, I'm not a doctor, and I don't know all the terms, but what I call that is micro pinching. <laughs> you're you're actually micro pinching the hollow of your hand right. between those two muscles. Right, and it, it and that's <laughs> let me tell you, I. I was a big, huge geek for a certain knife company because I was friends with them and stuff, and uh, I wanted them to make a knife with a little bit better ergos on the handles, mm-hmm. and they just wouldn't do it. And so, well, you know, so they're not my favorite knife company. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I still like them, and they're still. Hey, there's good a friends, lot of really good knife companies right now, more than right. we've ever had in the history of the earth. Yeah, but if you if you if you just lay open your hand and you just squeeze your thumb down a little bit. Yeah. You'll see a line that goes from, and then what do you call this line here? That, the, oh, the, that's a lifeline. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, it goes okay, from so the head's, he's, reading? His head's under your thumb. He's talking about the the palmar creases. Right. So, so there's, <laughs> there's one that goes along the meat side of your thumb, the one that's closest to the meat side of well, your right thumb. Right along there, that's right. where you're going to, and again, my, I, I'm not medical term guy, but I can tell you that that's why I, I call it micro pinching because yeah. you're going to actually start to feel that it folds up against there because you're folding it. You're, yeah, you're folding your hand. See? Yeah, that you're going to live a long and prosperous <laughs> life. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. But, but the, I mean, the point is that it doesn't take a whole lot more effort to really look at what you're doing and worry less about selling knives and worry more about using knives mm-hmm. because if you make a knife that's very usable you don't yeah. have to really worry about whether it's going to sell or not right. the people that will appreciate it will actually buy one right and or or one guy in a group of guys will buy one and then you know how guys at, at camp will go here give me your knife for a minute and then they'll pick it up and as soon as they pick it up in their hand it's really funny they'll actually smile yeah and they'll go this fits my hand. Yeah. yeah. And it's and it's like this revelation. Well, I didn't like I wasn't born you knowing this. And I made a lot of knives early on that didn't have all these features, but as I began using knives more and more and more for sporting purposes, I I found these little subtleties that make a huge difference in comfort of use. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important that we that 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 knives that you're going to use for sustained use have them. Like I said, hunt, if you have a knife strictly as a hunting knife and you're carrying it on your belt, you're going to field dress your deer, it doesn't matter what kind of handle you have. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have it in your hand that well, and long. That's, and that's the thing about the whole crafting bush thing uh, <laughs> is, is the fact that if you are actually out playing around and carving stuff up, those kind of kni- the knives that hurt your hand, you're going to shy away from. 
you're going to end up going, you know what, this this got a sharp edge, it looks good, but, you know, it really kind of is, yeah. I got a blister now. Well, and it, it, I've had a lot of buddies, and, um, you know, there's this big thing now with where they just put a flat, basically, slab of micarta or G10 on mm-hmm. a handle, and they screw it on there and whatever, and those those knives were, well, they are really popular. They but still if, are. Yeah. If you have a guy that has only ever used one of those, and, and Tim that I brought up, He's a huge nut. He's he's the guy from Des Moines I always talk about. He's a huge nut for those kind of you know big bussy chopper things. But well, he's, that's called a two D handle, no, it's right? Two dimensional handle, right? And so it's got sides and a flat top, right? And so flat face. When you when you get a guy like that um, into an actual ergonomic handle, they're like, I don't care what the knife looks like. I want the the comfortable handle. You know, if, if they're actually using See, I always, it, not, you know not what ends up happening? All my slab-sided hand. In fact, I've got one in my Jeep right now. The slab-sided handles. I did an evaluation for it, gave my recommendations. Now I'm going to fix it while I'm up here. Yeah. And, and put right scales on it. Well, <laughs> because that's I've done that to like almost every one of those knives that I, you know, I do I do my thing. I tell you know I like okay you need to do this 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 and this I like this I don't like this whatever. And then after it's done, and it usually comes back down to the handle scales, mm-hmm. are, you know, and hopefully, well, hopefully the company gives you enough handle scales that you can grind them off and make a good. Make one a, one yeah. of the things that we, we, we can't lose perspective of is that, and I use I say that as a, from a using. Aspect, no, and I understand that, but what I, what 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 you have to look at is the vastness of this industry, mm-hmm. and we've never had more. High quality, better made oh, knives. Exactly. There's to choose from than we have today. I mean, it's incredible. There's so many good knives out there made by so many good companies. I mean, even you know, people say, "Oh, that's just a production knife." Look at some of the stuff Buck is doing. Look at some of the stuff Kershaw is doing. Mm-hmm. These are innovative well, and really good designs. And you know what? They listened. They 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 started listening well, it, since it, like the internet time. This, I think the internet has has, has made is, that impact. Yeah, mm-hmm. where they all of a sudden going. The, the point is, if you have, you, all right, let's say we make X number of knives a year, and it doesn't matter what number we use. Eighty percent of those knives probably will never cut anything. We are not. We, I mean, we are realists. We understand that people enjoy knives. They buy them. Sometimes they intend on using them. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're in a sock drawer, you know, yeah. and, and and we love everybody that buys a knife. I mean, and when I say we, I'm not talking for Bark River. I'm talking for everybody. the whole industry. Yeah. But when, but those 20% or 25% that are going to actually use the knife eventually realize that they need something that's a bit more ergonomic. Mm-hmm. So we make all of our stuff ergonomic, whether you're going to put it in a sock drawer or you're going to use it. It's still going to have that feel that the average person may not be able to describe what you just described, but they know it when they feel it. Right. They know it yeah. when they feel it. They, well, go, that's like the visual yeah, tension it. that we've always talked about. Yeah. What, a lot of people can't describe what it is, but you know it's there. I don't even know that I can describe it. Right. And, it, and it's the, the handle blade ratio that yeah. it makes for the perfect knife. And well, it's vi- the same. visual tension is a Bob Loveless right. terminology. That's right. what he okay. taught me. He said... Right. You need that visual tension. Yeah. And I immediately understood what he meant, but I had just never heard a word for it. No. Yeah. And it's the same it's the same if you look at at a, at an airplane, if you look at a hot car, if you look at a boat that you mm-hmm. really like, there's always something in that design that t- it tweaks something in your head that says, "Ooh, that's hot. I like right. that. I yeah. really want that. I want that. Right. And it's and if you look at, at all those different industries, you'll find there's something in each one of those industries, and it's the same with the knife industry. You guys will look at a knife and they'll go, I really want that. Yeah. And then you can look at something that's designed to, to meet some functionality, but it doesn't have that, and no matter how good it is, you can't. What's the term? Wrap a twenty dollar bill on it and give it away. <laughs> right. Yeah. And hot glue a fifty to it. Yeah. Try to get forty bucks for it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I mean, there's and, and and even no matter if it doesn't if it does not have that visual tension, it's not going to sell. No matter how good it is, how well it's made, how. I mean, to the average customer, there are people that are loyal. They're brand right. loyal, 
and they're going to buy a knife, whether, like, if you and I think, though, hey, boy, that's really ugly, but they really like, they're brand loyal, and they, they'll buy it, right. and, and it, it likely will still function very well. Just there has to be something, I still have for me. a company that, that has to, at least at one point in time, made something that met those standards, made that criteria, that tripped the trigger of a lot of people I think, I to be so. around and, and to generate the brand loyalty. Because otherwise, you can't just... I mean, there's, that, there's been companies that have showed up in the last 10 years that have made an extremely ugly knife and have gone away very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> We've all there's, seen them. There's been several of them, and I'm not going to name names. But no, they, you know, and, and, it, and they were functional knives. They were not They were not knives that were, that were uh, uh, you know, there wasn't anything wrong with them except for the fact that they just were ugly. Yeah. And it wasn't ugly in a way that, you know, there were sharp things sticking out all over the place. They were ugly in a way that just the blade and the handle didn't look right and the center lines weren't exactly, everything was yeah. out of proportion and, and they didn't last long. You know, they made a run and couldn't give them away. Well, the other problem is let's invent a new blade. Yeah. That's a huge problem because you can't. Right. Everything's been done. You know, every, everybody, done. you know, like, like, and everybody that does invent a new blade, it's just a fad. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work, you know, or like it's at a weird angle or it's, you know, or they have like, the, my favorite are the ones that have like three or four different grinds on the blade. <laughs> yeah. You know, those are visually very appealing and that's who buys them. They're not user knives. Hmm. You can't use them for much of anything. They don't cut well. Uh, the, the, the different. Well, that's like, the that's different, like when we've had this conversation about the, the ABS Bowie knives. Mm-hmm. Are they're not made to do anything but fight with? Yeah, but man, they're pretty. They're yeah. beautiful. Those are they're gorgeous. absolutely beautiful. But it's not a it's not a knife that can be taken. I mean, we always try to figure out a way to use one of those big knives somewhere, and and they're not good choppers. They're not good. Well, they're. When you say they're not good choppers, you can chop with them. Yes. I mean, if you want to take a four thousand dollar Bowie knife. That's thin, which is what Bowie knives really are supposed mm-hmm. to be, is thin. And you want to chop stuff, you can do it. You're going to be a while. Yeah. And if it's made by a master smith, you're not going to roll it over. Right. You're not going to crack it. Right. You're not going to do anything wrong with it. And you can chop down a telephone pole with it. I don't have that kind of time. No. And I have a chainsaw. No. <laughs> but, but, the, but the point is that those knives are, are artwork. Absolutely. And you would not be doing those kinds of things with them. Okay. N- next topic. It's very related. There was a there was a third category uh, of of knives last night that was um, innovative. Yes. And then the staff picked the innovative knife. And mm-hmm. one of the Jersey Devils uh, Italian guy, Darren. Darren. He mm-hmm. he made it. Yep. So, he did. and uh, what would you describe as? I mean, it was kind of an unusual blade shape. And well, the blade was wavy on top. Which had that visual eye appeal. Yeah, it did. It the wavy on top part had no function. Yeah, so it was to make just it to look... draw your eye to the curves and. Yeah, but the the reason it was innovative was you don't see a blade shaped like that very often. He did make a proportional handle to it, mm-hmm. so it did have that visual tension, and. The top of the blade being, it, it was kind of like, a, when I say wavy, it had like, what, three humps in, in the yeah, top? Yeah, it looked like a sea serpent, basically. Right. Yeah. So it had, it looked like it was moving forward. Yeah. But he still maintained good cutting geometry on yeah. the rest of the blade, which means, okay, this has some humps on the back, but man, I could I could really use this knife. Yeah, and it had like a clip, was it a clip point? I think that one was, yeah. Yeah, and then it was, point. it had a, like a false edge on it. It was mm-hmm. a false grind. It was, it was. Uh, Which really, it, a false grind, people don't understand them. They think it's for fighting or something. And in actuality, it's just to thin the point so you can do finer work with the point. Right. That's what a, a swedge grind or a false grind is really for. Okay. It's, you know, it's not because it stabs better or something. Anybody that thinks that they need that to stab somebody has never seen, a, 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 like you've seen an ER yeah. Or if somebody comes in with a screwdriver sticking out of them. Yeah, yeah. It's not sharp at all, but it's buried right to the handle. Yeah, yeah. All right? So and humans, screaming. Human, yeah, humans are actually pretty easy to stab. Yeah. So you don't need all these sophisticated things to stab them. Yeah. So a, a clip point lowers the point to the center line of the blade, which gives you a really good level of control. 
and then you put the you put the swedge grind in there, and it actually thins the point without weakening the point, so you can choke up on the thing, and then you can do some fine work with a relatively large knife. Mm-hmm. You know, v- people really have a lot of misconceptions about features of knives and what they're really for. Most of them are based in practical use, not in fantasy fighting or any of that kind of stuff. Right, but but somehow it always takes on that like fantasy role. <laughs> it does. Well, it's yeah. like, it's, like you your carpet is, cutters that you made yesterday. Little karambits, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all you have to all you have to do is think back to 1900s when Webster Marvel put blood grooves in, and whoever put in blood grooves prior to that in hunting knives. Right, but they're not blood grooves. blood grooves. Right. Yeah, that's not, a marketing term. Right. Blood exactly. groove is a marketing term. Exactly. And it was very effective. It was, but actually, what if you take a look and see what Webster Marvel actually did? He took your grandma's kitchen knife, which is what right. you made. Yeah. But he made it out of heavier, thick stock, like they were doing on the West Coast. Uh-huh. And then he and then he put a a puko handle on it, invented a pommel. There were no bird's beak pommels back then, huh. except on swords. Yeah. Okay. And then he put a a very abbreviated but either single or double quillian guard on it, and that became the American hunting knife. The reason for the fuller, because it's not a blood group, it's a fuller, was because once he got it in his hand, it was too heavy. Huh. Tiddly. This knife that he made, this is a real, I love this shape, but man, this thing is heavy. So Webster Marble added a pretty good-sized fuller to take weight out of the blade without affecting lateral strength. Hmm. Because as, right, as you're reducing the amount of steel, you're adding surface area right so the blade wasn't any it was still just as tough so they're selling them and he's saying well geez now bernie levine uh researched this i researched it we actually found no reference to the term blood groove until the 1920s Mm -hmm. so webster marvel himself may have not been the one that called it that. that called it that we don't know where that, but once it was out there, he sure used it. Oh yeah, huh. yeah, yeah. That was what in World War II. That was everybody wanted a blood groove on their on their knives that they were getting sent from home. Give me something that's got a blood groove in it. Now, what's the um, like uh, for for people that are at home and haven't heard that term before? What what is the marketing? What are they saying that that does for you? Well, they it was it was stabbing. It's supposed to reduce suction. <laughs> for when you withdraw the blade back out. Now, there was an exhaustive study done by the British Army <laughs> to dispel that. Right. They didn't stab people. They Pigs stabbed sheep. Goats. No, yeah. sheep. Okay. They, they have a lot of sheep over there. Okay. So they stabbed sheep. <laughs> I think like an Iowan. <laughs> with, with bayonets, with and without fullers. And they found no difference. The sheep died no matter what. And they and the and the and the rifle was just as easy to put shove in or shove out with or without the fuller. Yeah. There was no suction effect. Right. So it so the whole blood groove thing is a marketing term, very effective one, you know. But it's a, but it's actually marketing. It has no bearing in reality. It's actually, it's actually an interesting piece of history because it's like like one of early knife marketing. Yeah. I, I still say that most of the pioneers in any industry were just as good at marketing as they oh, yeah. were at inventing things. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and they the had other, to be. Yeah. The other thing I would say is that there's a, um, what we estimate, a 500-year-old Spanish cutlass uh, 10 feet away from me in Mike's office, and it has a blood groove. <laughs> well, swords well, need... Well, swords, yeah. Swords, <laughs> swords need the, fullers. Yeah, yeah, not for... not for. They didn't call those well, blood grooves. Yeah, yeah. No, they, they called might, it a fuller because what, what happens, you, you make yourself a nice sword with a 40-inch blade... And if it doesn't have a fuller, you can't swing it. No. Yeah, you're, well, you're you're limited to about eight nine minutes before your arm's done. Yeah. Well, and and looking at this sword, I looked at it, and uh, I I came to the same conclusion that they and I don't know anything about this stuff. You know, I'm right. I'm I'm not an expert. But looking at it, I thought, well, geez, I know why they did that. They used less steel to make the blade. They hammered that in, and it creates um, three little ridges that are going to be stronger and they're going to well, triangulate it's, it's, it's and like you're an not going to be able to... It's, yeah, exactly it's, it's like basically an I-beam, but you reduce the weight of the blade and then I, the, the way I think increase the surface it, area at the same time. Right, so you have a taller blade and then 
I think they probably pounded in the fuller first, and then they pounded the edge in next. So I think when, probably. They, when they pounded in the fuller, it was straight, and then when they pounded in the edge, that's when it got the curve. Well, and, and then swords normally take a slight curve when you heat treat them because the because the, the tip wants to come up from the stress. Because it's less metal, or no, the swords are usually made straight, and then when they're when they're quenched, the tip is is thinner than than the handle than the tang, so it actually puts a bend in the sword. Okay. That's how that's how swords are are, are made with a curve. Okay. They're actually made straight. Oh, and then when you quench it, it, it warps. Yeah, it warps upwards. So huh. that's how. I mean, if you make a uh, Japanese katana, if you saw the what the, for, the forging is straight, huh. and then when they are quenched, it puts that slight curve in it. Huh. So that and that's 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 an accidental phenomenon that they capitalized on. Yeah, through marketing. Because when I make <laughs> my uh, <laughs> not for that. When I make my parangs, when the curve comes in for me is when I'm ha- when I'm trying to hammer that edge down. Mm-hmm. You're elongating. That, yeah, that 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 will push the. The blade up, and so. it puts, pushes the point upwards. Yeah, but I think maybe what maybe what they're doing is they're pounding it flat, and then when they quench it, I, I, th- I think it depends on the size of it. If it's a small one, you're you're going to get as you're moving metal, it's got to go uh-huh. somewhere. It yeah. goes somewhere. Yeah, and it doesn't necessarily go where you want it to go. Uh-huh. It takes the path of least resistance, and if the blade begins to warp upward, it it depends on the angle you're striking it. So you learn how to strike it so that it does put that curve into the blade. Huh. So I mean, the, like I always say, this is not rocket science. It's a little bit of science, but making knives is not rocket science. It's not magic. You know, you can actually reverse engineer almost anything that was done, and and replicate it. Okay. I want my lightsaber. <laughs> We're working on it. I want my lightsaber. We're working on it. Another topic we can talk about today um, would be um, your Scandi or. Your convex on Scandi, or even better, I think, would be if you just talk about your regular convex right. grind that you're doing. Like the, the, the thinking yeah, behind I, it and those, those the, sorts of the things. Sh- the shaped edge. Yeah. Well, most people say, well, you know, you, I have to learn a whole new method of sharpening cause if I buy one of your knives because they're convexed. And um, Being the owner of the company gives me the ability to make knives any way I want. And it's really easy to flat grind or hollow grind a blade, put a V-bevel on it, and call it good. That doesn't cut or hold an edge as long as as a shaped convex grunt blade with a shaped convex edge because you're supporting the carbides far better with a convex edge than you are with a V-bevel mm-hmm. of the same angle. Now, the people say, well, what angle are your, are your blades? Well, they're hand convexed. The terminal geometry of almost all of our knives, regardless of the thickness of the blade, regardless of how tall it is, is about 13 degrees. The problem is you can't reach it. You can't sharpen them at 13 degrees because right above that terminal geometry, it's fat. Mm-hmm. And it's designed to be fat. So that those carbides, which is what you're cutting with, you know, we're not cutting with the iron, mm-hmm. we're cutting with the carbon that's been converted to carbides. That's what you're cutting with. If you leave those unsupported, they rock back and forth and break off. Mm-hmm. And that's what we call a dull knife. Mm-hmm. So the better you support the carbides, which are those little shards, the microscopic little shards fingers. sticking out, yep. all right, the better you support that, the longer the knife will hold its edge. Now, and But the thinner you go on the sides, the less support you have. So if you want to make a really, really, really sharp-feeling knife, you, you have a thin edge spine. The problem is, now, without that support, those carbides rock back and forth much more easily and just break off one at a time. With a heavy support, they rock far less. They can't rock. Mm-hmm. And if they are, they're rocking very little. And then all you have to do, and this is another thing that throws people, we say, well, just strop it sharp on your pants. Mm-hmm. Just strop it sharp. If you were in duck pants or blue jeans, just strop well, you can't sharpen a knife that way. Well, you can't sharpen one with a whole bunch of broke-off carbides, but you can sharpen one with some slightly misaligned carbides. Mm-hmm. You're just realigning what's what didn't break off, mm-hmm. and you're restoring the edge. Now, people say, well, you, you grind your knives. You convex your knives right to sharp. We do not. 
We do not do that. That would be no better than a flat grind to sharp. Our edges are shaped. We have a we start with a very heavy edge spine between 35,000 and 50,000 thick. We actually impart that convex edge first. People think we grind down to the edge. We do not. We impart the, the exact geometry on that blade before we grind the rest of the blade. Mm -hmm. Then we grind the blade to the geometry and then take then blend in. So you really have at least two different convexes, sometimes three. Mm -hmm. But the point is they're blended together and where it's a nice smooth cut. And the other purpose of convex edges is that it throws whatever media you're cutting away from the blade. It opens it up faster, which allows you to cut deeper and quicker and also not have the blade wedge. Mm -hmm. Hollow grinds, you get past the, 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 the V-bevel and stuff wants to go back into the hollow. It collapses. It collapses into the hollow and they get stuck. The, uh, and now there's nothing, I, I like flat grind blades too, mm -hmm. but I prefer the convex shape because you're further throwing the media away from the blade, allowing you, allowing the very edge to get down into, deeper into what you're doing so you can cut quickly. Convex edges don't feel as sharp to the touch as a thin V-bevel. People say, this doesn't feel that sharp. Don't you move that blade back and forth on your finger. It's yeah. as sharp. You, you might want to try that first. Yeah, I would, I would, I would <laughs> you might want to use it. I would try with something say. other than your own flesh. <laughs> yeah. Because people will do that. They'll say, this knife doesn't feel it. They'll like, oh, because they actually move their finger on it. It is just as sharp. It's just that it doesn't feel as sharp because that the, the spine is thicker behind now, the edge. Yeah. Now, what is the, uh, for, for the hollow grind geometry, what is this, what are they claiming the selling point? Like, you just made a case for convex edge. I think hollow grinding is easier and uh, more visually appealing, and that's why I think that people do it. Well, you're right. Okay. That being said, somebody that grinds hollow grinds will argue with you about what their hollow grind does. How does their How are they arguing that their hollow grind is doing something different than your convex? I have never heard a valid argument. <laughs> <laughs> the, the most valid argument, and I truly understand it, is that hollow grinds are so visually appealing that a, a properly hollow ground knife, a real high quality one, is almost irresistible to buy it. Oh yes. <laughs> I mean, they're just um, they're irre I mean, they're a beautiful. But they they demonstrate on a, the the knife maker's ability to grind symmetrically. Yes. There's there's no question about well, that. Well, it's easier to grind a hollow grind symmetrically. Right. Because once you get the groove, yeah. you stay in the groove. Right. You just go back and forth in the same groove. But but what is the what are the arguments that you that you hear? I mean, I hear stuff like oh, it wedges the material apart farther, faster. Well, it doesn't. And, and, well, I know. It's the opposite. <laughs> As it as it uh, cuts through the cuts through the material, it pushes stuff aside. Well, let me ask you a question: When was hollow grinding invented? Uh, I would say somewhere around the turn of the century. Yep, 1900. Yeah. Because they invented some machine. It's yep. called a double hollow grinder. Yeah. You 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 jig the machine up, turn on the wheels, and you pull the blade through it. It's right. now ground on both sides at one time. Yeah. Mm. And 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 they were for disposable butcher knives. Yeah. Because once you sharpen them and you get up into the hollow, you got to throw it away. Right. That's what hollow grinding was invented for, and I and precision hollow ground. That's what that's like blood groove. It's one of those marketing terms. <laughs> well, very effective. Okay. Very effective. Okay. So so well so we've dispelled that. Now let's. Well, in, uh, in my opinion, we've dispelled. And, and I, it. I mean, I but think, there's an awful lot of hollow ground knives out there that well, people buy every day. Well, I, I've made the point on the podcast before that um, part of what I do when I have a knife is I kind of sit there and feel the edge geometry, and I like when you run your when you run your fingers across the that that hollow ground feels like feels neat. Well, let, let me tell you where I see a good use for a hollow ground knife. If you were going to make a caping knife and you wanted 
a microscopically thin edge. You can hollow grind that thing almost to zero. Right. Where you're talking about maybe a six to eight thousandths thick edge spine. Hmm. And then you put a really fine bevel on that. If you're keeping something, well, you want to get in around the nose and the eyes. To re- I mean, it. you can get very fine because the edge spine is so thin. Hmm. Well, aren't the straight razor market, isn't that all, aren't those all hollow grind? Every one of them from... 1900 the, on? No, about 1872, 1873 is when you first saw hollow ground straight razors. But they were doing that on a single wheel. They tended to do wheels on a single wheel. Well, they did wheel. the flat grounds on a single wheel, too. Right. But the but the the reason that you can do this, you're hollow grinding to a zero edge. Right. You you have two thousandths on the edge. Right. There is no bevel. Right. All right. So, which means you can only strop it sharp. You can't grind it sharp anymore. Right. You can't put a V-bevel on it. You'll ruin it. And, but you can do that with a straight razor because a straight razor has a sharpening shelf. Right. Has a sharpening ledge. You can't do that with a regular knife. You can't use a hanging strop on a knife. You shouldn't. You can use a strop flat on the table, but you shouldn't use one that's hanging. All straight razors were flat ground to zero prior to the 1870s. Mm-hmm. In the 1870s, the Germans and the English, not here in America, the Germans and the English began to understand hollow grinding a bit more and instead of using stones that were four to six feet in diameter they began using stones that were more like ten inches in diameter but only the most skilled craftsmen were allowed to do it Hmm. you had to prove to the master cutler who ran the company that you actually were capable of because it's a zero grind one sneeze, and you're done. <laughs> you screwed it up. You throw the straight razor in the trash. Yeah. Because you just went through the other side of the blade. So it wasn't until they really began to understand using smaller cutting stones that, that you started to see hollow ground razors. But there's zero ground. Hmm. Now, you can almost have that same conversation about scandy grinds. Oh, yeah. Oh boy, here we go. Exactly the same. <laughs> exactly the same. They're typically today flat ground to zero. Right. Yeah. Yep. And that's the and that's the uh, uh, prior to that they were not flat ground. No, they were they were, they were convex, convex scandies. But you, people won't people who are real scandy freaks just don't believe us. No. But if you find a hundred year old Sammy knife. It's it's convex. It's not flat ground zero, and it's so difficult for people. I mean, they just really get nuts about it. Kyle, you're rolling your shoulders. We're gonna get hate mail. <laughs> oh, we love hate well, mail. We love all mail. Well, we yeah. love all mail. Oh, we should we should mention here because we're just about out of time. Um, we, you can send us emails. You know our hate mail. Uh, <laughs> hot, podcast at knifejournal.com, and Jim opens all of those and forwards them to me. Uh, Go on the uh, knifejournal.com. We have a we have a forum on there. We have a giveaway too. Yeah, we also have a giveaway. Uh, I bought a uh, Victorinox Pro Hunter and I'm giving it away. And uh, <laughs> good knife. Yeah, enter enter in. Um, you know, it's it's like the typical hunting knife that my buddies who are not knife nuts like me carry when we go and kill deer. So um, enter enter in that. Just send us an email. Say hey, I want that knife. And uh, you know, at you know, a couple weeks, however long, we're just gonna pick somebody at random play, and play give it away. Here. Yeah. So now that we got the business taken care of, uh, parting thoughts. We were talking about the Scandi, and <laughs> and uh, there. Let me tell you, man. There are people who will like chew me up if I if I talk about that and stuff. And um, but I don't have the expertise to talk about it. You do. Well, one of the things that you need to ask your friends that want to chew you up is why do all of the companies who now produce flat ground scandies put a micro bevel on them? Well, I don't know. Because if you don't, the edge rolls over. That's true. See, the, the, today, people that are producing flat ground scandies are actually adding a very small micro bevel to add some edge stability because flat ground to zero 
even convex ground, to zero, have no edge stability on the very edge. They don't have any. Without a shaped edge, you don't have edge stability. Now, and V bevels have some stability, not as much as a convex bevel, you know, but, but the, if, if you go flat ground to zero with any grind, you have no edge stability. You don't have anything backing those carbides. Hmm. So today, you'll find companies that are making flat ground Scandies are adding a micro bevel. Some of them are actually convex micro bevels, and some of them are actually flat micro bevels because they need them. You have to have something there. Yeah. So people that are purists and say, well, I can just sharpen this because I lay it down on the bevel and rub it back and forth on my sharpening, they're probably removing that bevel. They better bring that sharpening stone with them. Yeah. <laughs> because well, every time they use it, they're going to have to well, resharpen and then, it. And then half the time, like, you know, I've got friends that actually use their Scandi knives, and I'll look at them and I'll say, oh, so this is a Scandi grind. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, how's come it feels like an axe head? <laughs> it's because they're they're sharpening it, but they're turning it into a Scandi grind on accident. Most most a knives. Convex grind. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, convex. Well, most, most knives end most, up that way. Yeah, yeah, most freehand sharpened knives end up with either a very, very visual or a very slight convex. Yeah. Because none it's of us hard. none it's of hard. us are good enough to actually. If you use an Edge Pro or something, you can actually keep a flat bevel. But if you're doing it by hand, even even with the Edge Pro, because I have one, um, it. it if you have any kind of a blade that's longer than like say three or four inches, you're, you're you're moving the blade around, and by the time you are trying to control the blade and use the Edge Pro on it, actually we have a re request for um, sharpening info. Somebody sent us a thing mm -hmm. that says, "Hey, tell us how to sharpen knives." But at any rate, um, mm -hmm. by the, will in a future for, for a real long knife on the Edge Pro. Uh, you you end up with changes in the angle anyway right? yeah, because, because, of, because of, of the curve of the blade and it's like impossible to hold it perfect well there the, I mean, but there are extended arms and stuff you actually can keep it flat you really can maybe not off the one you buy off the shelf but, yeah uh, like Ken makes one right. that's big yeah it's like a huge edge pro you could actually keep a perfectly flat bevel all right yeah but you rarely are going to take that camping with you. You're not. I mean, you're not going to have that with you. You're going to have to learn how to actually sharpen a knife. Yeah, on, I, I just carry like a little, the teeny little miniature um, fine Norton fine India stones, the little miniature ones. I, See, I, I, I don't. I don't carry that. <laughs> I've never sharpened my convex edge in the woods. Well, I this. Well, the only reason I have had to do that is because I'll be out for like a month. Well, you know, and let, let me. Can I tell you what I carry, which yeah. I've never had to use on a short trip. And this is a very, very sophisticated item that they're very hard to get. You go to the grocery store and you go around back uh -huh. where they throw away the cardboard boxes. Yeah. And you rip the lid off one. Okay. Take it home. Get a pair of big scissors and make yourself a rectangle that's maybe two and a half to three inches wide and about four inches long. And then take some grinding compound. That's, I'm talking about the powder yeah. type, the bar. And I use the black, we call it black magic. And you coat one side of that thing, the non-corrugated side, right, right, with that, and then take that and put it in another very sophisticated item. It's called a sandwich bag. <laughs> and you put that sandwich bag, put that thing in the sandwich bag, seal it, and put it in one of your pockets. Okay. Or put it in your pack pocket. You can restore a convex edge to very, very sharp in the field with a piece of cardboard. Cool. Very effective. I'm going to learn that. But um, the the other thing I would say, um, as far as sharpening and sharpening technologies, I've got video and pictures. You wouldn't believe it. You know those machetes, like the Tramontinas and things, they come from the factory with, like, no edge. Right. I it's think like, that's normal. Yeah, it's still, like, yeah, that's a normal. millimeter flat. Well, mm -hmm. you, you, you take it... The first time I saw this, I was like, what the hell? These, you know, in the, in the Amazon jungle... Like, you don't see many rocks. Like, no. for some reason, like, I, I never saw no, any rocks. No. Like, the only time I would ever see a rock is they'd have, like, some piece of sandstone that this villager found somewhere, and they bring it back, and it's, like, treasure. They'll have it for, like, 100 years, and they'll take the, the, the cutting end of the machete, and they'll just rub it in a circle in there. Mm -hmm. So, and it's the coolest thing you'd ever see. So these guys are, like, sharpening their machetes on a rock. Right, and by it, it just takes them a few passes on each side because that rock develops a hollow, 
and by the time they're done, it's like it's a perfect. Well, let's, like, let's, but see, that's edge. why that's why our knives. What was the spec on the on the uh, military knives? It was like a Rockwell 52? 52 to fifty four, and it was for that reason because you can sharpen it. Sharpen on a rock. But let's yeah. remember that we all grew up with something called an Arkansas stone. Yeah, yeah. That's those are rocks. Right, right. They're smooth ones, but they're rocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you know, can you sharpen a knife on a rock? Absolutely. I know if I had to, I could. If you, it, yeah, you know, if somebody knows what they're doing, absolutely. But, but when you when unless you're dealing a, with unless it's a S35VN, you're going to be there. A while. That's, that's 61. But the, but the, the point is, tools like machetes, yeah, are very soft. Yeah. Because they need to be. Because toughness is more important than strength. And it's more important than edge holding. Because you can put an edge back on I mean, they'll say, well, use a file on it. Just put it in with a file. It's because you can. Mm-hmm. You know, and the a, other thing, a, a too, mill file is harder. What, what kind of edge are they putting on there? An axe type. Right. Yeah, they're doing, doing a convex type it, it ends up convex. Whenever you, whenever you sharpen a circular motion, you will end up with a convex yeah. edge. Yep. Well, uh, we should we should probably close down. We're getting some background noise. There's uh, it's raining up here and you got a squeaky u- chair. U- usually sunny Escanaba, Michigan. It's a crisp, cool like almost fall morning. 61 degrees this morning. Well, so yesterday it was 42. For yeah, 42. 42. 42. It was a bit yeah. bit chilly. Well, that's that's uh, news from the grind in. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to come up to the next one. I mean, my schedule is always crazy. We hope you can. Did we when's say, when's did your we, next one? Did we say Jer- did we say February. Jersey Devil grind in? Yeah, this several is times. I, we did actually. Okay. This is this is the Jersey Devil Forum the, grind. The in. September one is always the Jersey Devil Forum one, and um, that's and there's a lot of guys here from that forum. I mean, it's not you don't have to be a member of that forum to be here, but they a lot of these guys know each other. They're on the forum together, and we always have a lot of new faces. And it's always a lot of fun, a lot of laughing, mm-hmm. and a lot of really cool knives yep. that they make. Because yeah. we, we don't a, try to guide them on what they make. Yeah, and they, and a, they come up with crazy stuff. And, a lot, of guys, and <laughs> a lot of guys bring a lot of their collection here, too. Yeah, yeah. this ends up as a mini knife show. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, there's like crazy stuff these guys have, like stuff you can't possibly get your hands on, and they've got like all of it. Yeah, it's like, it's like oh my God, you have every, well, every, like, every possible like when somebody like Ricky or Big Tony unrolls their knife roll, yeah. and you just and you look real quick and you realize there's seventy five thousand dollars worth of knives in there. Yeah, and you're like, oh my goodness. Yeah, you know, and you know, and you step long. back. <laughs> yeah, you take a step away from it. I don't know if I should touch that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, a bunch of good people though. Yeah, good people. It's great and interesting people. They're from. A lot of them are from like the New York, New Jersey area, yeah, East, East Coast, Coast area. Yeah. But we have people here today from Texas. We have somebody here from Belgium. Yeah. You know, I mean, they they'll come in from anywhere. Iowa. We, yeah. You know, there's one <laughs> guy from Iowa. Two, well, two, two, because Tim's here. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, we've got a uh, Chicago representative. Uh, we've got mm-hmm. some uh, Wisconsin people, Montana. Yep. And I have our next episode. I have a, a couple new uh, geek out knives that I'll bring up. Um, well, to, Mark's today. actually from. North Dakota. Yeah, and he, but he's he on lives, the corner. So he yeah. has Wyoming, North Dakota, and Montana, you know, where they kind of all intersect there. Yeah. And he's from North Dakota. I thought he was from Wyoming. No, he has, his property extends across two state lines. Okay. He's in that little tiny corner there. Yeah. Are we going hunting there? Oh, yeah. I want to. All of us are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he said we could go. We're going. All of us. All right. So the, um, the, at our next episode, uh, I've, I've got a couple geek out things. I want to talk about a couple makers that I met up here. Uh, I'm really kind of getting into the uh, hand forge things. Um, we also have uh, something that I don't know. Can they get these yet? The uh, yeah, these the are on the blackjack. Yeah, we shipped them two weeks ago. Okay, so I, we, I've got another uh, bushcraft knife to tell so you it's about. It's called the, the blackjack bushcraft companion. Yeah, these right. are available from uh, DLT. DLT? DLT Trading. Knifeworks okay. has them. Okay. Um, oh, Knifeworks has them still? They will. They may not have them Roger? yet, but they will. Roger will have them. Okay, so we'll, we'll talk a little about that. Um, the sharpening thing, that's got to almost be its own standalone episode. Yeah. And, and we we certainly have a couple people we could call for that. <laughs> yep. Um, and, you know. 
Well, anyway, uh, so that's it for uh, this episode. Thanks for listening. Hope we uh, gave you something to think Thank about. Thank you. Had a good time. About. And thanks for having us up, Mike. And uh, My pleasure. It was a great, it's always a great weekend. If you ever get a chance to come to one of these, it is well worth the effort. You will not walk away disappointed. No. And especially if you're like me, kind of tinkering around in your basement, trying to learn how to make some knives, design some knives. You'll learn so much here. It's unbelievable. you got some of the best guys in the world to direct you and show you what you're doing wrong or show you what you're doing right and refine your techniques, and it's it's incredible. And if your wife won't let you come, bring her. She because may find that she likes to make knives. My wife has been here multiple, multiple times, and she's got a lot of different kitchen knives and little purse knives that she's made over the years and she she really loves to come up here it's got to be at least 30 percent women here yeah it usually is and even kids yeah there's as there's young as eight and years it's, old. and it's very yeah. family yeah. i mean the whole thing's family oriented yes yeah, we've had kids as young as eight make their own knife yeah yeah so uh, we really should go yeah now. until next time tune in and uh oh and uh check out the new uh knife journal on uh, Amazon and I, iTunes and uh, Amazon, iTunes and Google Play. Yep, and, and uh, check out the forum. Keep your oh <laughs> yes, we're gonna finish this every time, I guess, like this, aren't we? We, we pretty much have to keep your uh, keep knife your knives sharp, sharp and, and your, your friend, friend sharp. <laughs> bye bye. Bye.